Hello and welcome to Canine Hooper's World, the podcast. A whole new world of fun. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to Canine Hooper's World, the podcast. This is episode 37 and today I am super, super excited to let you know that we have another guest this week and this week we are speaking to the fabulous Lisa Jordan who is our very own House Wolves Hoopers instructor and today me and Lisa are going to be discussing um, the foundations of training especially Hoopers and why foundations are important. So Lisa hello. Hello Carrie Ann thank you for inviting me on Hoopers World podcast. Ah you are very welcome thank you so much for joining me. So um, just very quickly, um, a little bit of your background, because you introduced me to Hoopers originally. Yes, I've been training, I think, possibly around 2017, might be a little bit longer. And I transferred over my agility skills to Hoopers, um, which I've really, really enjoyed. My guys enjoy it. It makes it um, easy for lots of dogs to take part. Um, then I got introduced to a slightly different way and I enjoyed that way so I found totally separate way of training hoopers to what I train agility although my foundations do transfer over Mm -hmm. so for um so it's quite interesting you say because there's two ways because obviously I have tiny dog and the house wolf and tiny dog I very much handled the agility way um, I run around like a lunatic waving my arms and generally being quite loud and then when it comes to house wolf I'm actually learning how to stand still and be quiet which is ridiculous really because people that actually know me in the real world will find it completely ironic that I can both stand still and be quiet whilst training a dog. Well, I think it's amazing the, the way that I've learned to now train it because I think some of it comes from like shepherding. The dogs like being at 12 o'clock, 6 o'clock mm-hmm. and you can watch your dog around the course rather than turn side on yeah. and you've got your dog at the side and you might lose it behind you or whatever. So facing your dog made so much more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, obviously for people that have come from an agility background, it's a lot more natural to run hoopers as you would handle agility. But I think it's interesting, as you say, watching the dogs and even with tiny dog now, as much as I do still move with her and I handle in more of an agility style, we're still building her confidence up to have more distance. So I'm not having to run quite so much. So this, the style of handling is still super inclusive and any breed can do it. It's not just your herding breeds have to be handled one way and your non herding breeds are handled the agility way. It's very transferable to all our breeds really, isn't it? Absolutely. And I fully understand that some dogs will never release that Velcro. So if you're just out to enjoy yourself, then mm-hmm. run around screaming, enjoying yourself. That, <laughs> that's, that's it at the end of the day, isn't it? It's just to have fun. Yeah. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to see a dog stressed because I'm asking the handler to gain some distance if the dog wasn't happy with that distance yeah. for whatever reason. Um, and distance comes with time and understanding. Mm-hmm. So no, go, go with what you've got. And if you want to work with the distance, 
then try and train it. I love watching it. I think it's a great, great skill. They've got four legs. We've got two. If I can keep mine planted while they run around the course, yahoo, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And obviously for me, because with Tiny Dog, I can keep up with her because although she does have four legs, they're tiny. So yes. I've yeah. got fairly long legs. I mean, I'm, I don't do too bad, but when it comes to house wolf, like at, well, probably at about six months, he was already quicker than me. Yes. So now the size he is, he's steamed ahead. I'd have no chance keeping up with him. I mean, one of my friends keeps saying that once he's old enough, I should try canny cross with him. And I just think she's trying to kill me, to be honest. <laughs> Run you into the next county. Bye. Take a cab number to bring you back. <laughs> It'd be like watching a point-to-point -point race with me attached to the back of him, wouldn't it? Like, oh, off we go. I'd want to find where the brakes was first. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, his brakes aren't good. I mean, God, getting his focus is bad enough, let alone trying to stop him. Can you imagine? It'd be great. Um, so today I wanted... So basically, I was going to do this oh. podcast episode all on my own. And then I was sort of working it out in my head and I was like oh let me just check with Lisa and then I was like actually I'm just going to ask Lisa to join me so luckily Lisa <laughs> said yep yeah, okay I'll come and join you on your podcast um so I wanted to talk about foundations and why getting really solid foundations in training is so important because the foundations isn't the sexy stuff you know the foundations is boring for a lot of people and people seem to think that their dogs find it boring um i more think it's that the people find it not as fun and they decide their dogs find it boring um but can you sort of in your words say why you think why you would explain to your clients why the foundations are so important when it comes to training anything with our dogs Firstly, I totally agree with what you say, like what you said, people want the sexy stuff, which is like running around, putting it all together, go home with a sense of achievement, their dog's done this, that, da, 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 da. But there's fractures in the foundations if you don't build them. Mm -hmm. And without a solid foundation level, your building's going to fall down. Yes. So I am a great believer, build your corners, build your flat line, the outside of your jigsaw puzzle and then fill the middle in and you've got a really, really stable career with your dog, whatever you choose to do, yeah. because you've built it in sections. Yeah. Dogs learn by layers. So if you're building like your base layer and then you're going up and up and up and up, mm -hmm. you've got a massive building and a great time ahead of you. But like you say, people do find the foundation level boring. Um, I don't. I love seeing my dogs work out things. I yeah. do shape training rather than showing. And I think that way, watching my dogs work things out and getting a jackpot at the end of it, I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. D depending, you know, however small that achievement is. So, yeah, I do have a, like a list of the foundations that I work on. Mm -hmm. I've got it on my uh, phone here. Amazing. See, the list <laughs> prepared. It's like Blue Peter here. I know, I know. <laughs> Um, for listeners um, that are listening from abroad, Blue Peter was a children's TV show over here where they would always show you how to make something because they'd always have the one prepared to show you what you were going to be making. I just realised we've got quite a few international listeners and they're probably going, what's Blue Peter? What is she doing? <laughs> they used to give out badges. They did. Right, so, they um, did. 
firstly, my first lesson would be um, installing weights. Weights are so, so important to, mm -hmm. one, be able to move any distance away from the first hoop or tunnel or whatever it be. Without a weight, you've got to do it off the collar. And then, yeah, if you are running around, great. But is the line right to take the next hoop? Probably not, because you've then got to come out slightly away from that hoop to take the next line to the next hoop. So you've already put your dog a little bit off course. Mm -hmm. So weight is one of my first ones that I build a lot on. I put a lot of time and effort into reward, 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 and make it fun. Yeah. Um, don't like boring weights. They've got to be, at the end of the day, if you go to a show environment, whether it be hoopers, obedience, or agility, they can all be high arousal places. Yeah. So I want to be able to have my dog waiting and, you know, pretty much watching a fly ball go up and down with screaming dogs and things like that. If I've achieved a weight there, achieving it in front of a hoop is, you know, done, done and dusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So um, in previous episodes, um, I spoke about um, sort of how we, I think we did an episode on weight and if we didn't then I will do one but I will go back through and I'm pretty sure I did do one on teaching a weight but we definitely did one on um, rewards and for me teaching a weight you need to be making sure you're giving your dog what they find rewarding whether it's toy play or food but you need to be reinforcing them for being still because I don't think people understand that for the dogs being still is actually difficult. Oh, definitely. Yes, it is. And find what's a comfortable position for your dog. Not all dogs like to lie down. I know some like greyhounds and things like that. They find it really uncomfortable to lie down. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the big breeds, they're more comfortable to stand. So you've got to work really hard on that. To stand for any time, we've worked out that it takes a lot of core strength. Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't expect a puppy to stand quite as long as I would an older dog if I haven't built you know, the core strength they takes to stand still. Yeah. Um, there's some research in behind, especially in the agility side, whether a sit or a down or a stand, what is more beneficial to take a jump, which is slightly different with the hoop, but at the end of the day, they are accelerating. Yeah, of course. So if you set up a tripod, if you are practicing your weight, take some videos of your dogs to see what suited them to run off the start line, what position. I yeah. love doing things like this. You learn so much by setting up a tripod on your phone. Yeah, definitely. So videoing your sessions does really help. And it's something that I, I talk about a lot is video your sessions. What should we do? Because you can't, you don't only see what your dog is doing that you may have missed, but you also see what you are doing that you may have missed. Um, so to make the listeners laugh, um, I did a little training session on my own the other week um, without adult supervision. <laughs> And um, I sent Lisa the videos and straight away she went, why are you holding that arm up? Why were you doing that? And I, when I watched the video back, I was like, oh my God, I did that so wrong. And I nearly <laughs> didn't send you the video because I knew what you were going to say. <laughs> but I wanted to show you that we had been trying to practice. But as you say, watching your weight and what position you're setting your dog up in, I do think is really important for learning um, what's going to work because tiny dog i tend to start her off in a stand that seems to be a good position for her she will start in a sit she's never ever started in a down because the floor's dirty and she can't possibly lounge <laughs> um 
Um, and I think that's partly why she stands as well. She's not overly comfortable sitting on a floor, especially if competition, it's a new surface. She's like, that's got germs on it. I'm not touching yeah. it. Um, so for her, the stand works. But with, with Housewolf, we're still kind of working out. At the moment, we're using a sit because he's a baby. It's kind of the, the most solid position he has. But it may be in the future, I look at, working on a stand or a down with him we just sort of need to play about with it but that's for future endeavors we need to get a decent weight first <laughs> yeah my belgium shepherd uh in car he was so much more happy in a stand and i think because he was so squarely built yes but my colleagues seem quite happy in a sit or a down yeah which they they naturally do anyway if you watch them herd they're always in a down or quite a low uh, stance so I go with what works yeah and yeah there are some dogs that don't like sitting on grass and things like that so don't pressurize them but it is good to do video to see what suits and maybe teach all three positions to help yourself yeah so if it is wet then we'll do a stand because my dog's not going to lie down because there's a puddle on the start line yeah yeah definitely. so yeah definitely and teach I all three yeah no and I think as well the other thing that I just want to add to teaching the weight is make sure that when you're leaving your dog, you're leaving them with a happy voice because the amount of times you hear people tell their dog, wait, and they sound so grumpy and angry and like, <laughs> just, they sound like Trunchbull from Matilda. Like they're really intimidating. <laughs> and you're like, just say, wait, like. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I don't like hearing is because that automatically puts pressure on the dog. Yeah. So, yeah, it's got to be happy, got to be fun. You want to be able to run out there and go, ready, ready, ready. And they're still maintaining that position because yeah. you want to build that engine to jet propel themselves up the Hooper's course or an agility course. You know, you don't want them going, oh, my God, licky, chewy, I don't really like this. It's too much pressure. No, that's all wrong. Fun, yeah, fun, fun. Yeah, exactly that. And that's the thing, isn't it? If, if you're doing Hoopers or any sport, it's meant to be you and your dog having fun together even when you're competing at the highest level like you have, you should still be having fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And your dog should still be having fun. And as harmless or brutal as it sounds, <laughs> don't hide. I do say to people, you know, they say, oh, my dog won't wait here or it won't wait there. I say, well, go home and look in the mirror because that's the truth why your dog isn't waiting. It's mm -hmm. staring right back at you. You taught your dog or found to teach your dog. They don't come out and go, do you know what? I'm going to be naughty today. I'm going to really upset my mom and I'm just going to just belt round and totally ignore it. You know, they don't come out to do that. It's us that are teaching them what we want is required and in a rewarding way. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely keep it fun. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So our first little corner then of our, of our jigsaw is our weight. So then what's the next corner? My next one would be forward focus. So just explain to people that haven't done hoopers or agility what forward focus means. Okay, so um, if this is my dog sitting here, and I'll make a nose there, look Now there. remember Lisa, this is a podcast, <laughs> so people can't see you. Oh, I've done my hair, I've, I've, I've done my lockdown hair and no Oh my God, me. amazing, I love it. Sorry, there's no video <laughs> podcasting. I do this all the time, I'm like, so if you see, oh no, yeah, no, you can't see, I'm sorry, this is really bad listening, sorry. So, 
yeah you can't so how okay you... right I'll, I'll explain okay so <laughs> if you set your dog up in whatever position you choose for a weight i'm saying that you've got a good weight you take a step to the side i would say a big percentage of dogs will be looking at you as the handler to their side so mm -hmm. if you've left your dog and the dog is on your left side and you walk out way to the right your dog is going to be looking across to you that's not got forward focus i want to be able to leave my dog and it looks at what i've set it up in front of regardless on where i am so i can stand i've trained my dogs now i can stand behind them but if i've set them up in front of a hoop or a jump they're going to be looking at that regardless where i am on the course this yep. leads to them taking the next obstacle continually unless i give them you know different information Mm -hmm. So forward focus is another, uh, you know, big foundation that I believe works. And I think it's, it's the one that a lot of, I'm certainly finding it quite tricky with Dodge at the moment, because obviously with um, the training we've done previously, I've been getting lots of eye contact from him and lots of him just looking and checking in with me. And now all of a sudden this new game, I'm like, no, I don't need you to watch me. I need to watch where you're going. You need to watch the way you are running, not where I'm standing. So I think that's why some people find the forward focus quite tricky because especially with dogs that are a bit less confident and are used to checking in with the handler so much because they need that little bit of support, teaching the looking forward is actually quite hard for some dogs, but it is really important, especially with hoopers because the dog needs to be looking where they're running because if they're looking at the handler, they're going to run straight into a hoop or a barrel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or they, uh, they, the line that they're on because they're gravitating towards you because that's where their head's going. Yeah. Um, and then it becomes quite hard for them to pick up the new line or you've got to really manage it, overly manage it because they're looking in at you all the time. So there's two ways I find teaching it. The quick and easy way is basically put a toy out in front or a treat out in front get your dog to look forward and only release when they're looking at their toy or reward whatever reward mm -hmm. you choose to put out downside of that when you come to doing a hoop in a class or anything like that or competing that reward is not going to now be out in front yeah so i prefer teaching it in a shaping way where i start off with a dog I put a harness on them because I want to do a restrain and I want it comfortable for them to be restrained. Mm -hmm. So I'm holding them, pulling back slightly. And as they, they want to go forward because they want to come round uh, to look at you, but I'll use that as they propel their self forward. I put in my go cue as I release and mm -hmm. then I throw the toy. In. To work on that fervola. I start delaying throwing the toy. Mm -hmm. So the dog keeps on running forward because it's going to anticipate the toy is coming in. Yep. So I've built forward focus and my go in yep. one easy exercise. And that transfers so easy when you put them in front of a hoop, they realize that they're, they're not going to get released unless they're looking forward to that hoop. Yep. Some people actually put a cue word in um, like look or straight or I tend not to teach it. I want, I teach my dogs by repetition. Yeah. This is what happens to get released. You look at that jump or hoop or tunnel yeah. and then I will release you. Yeah. So the minute I put them on the start line, 
they check in at me, which side I'm leaving them, and then straight away target what I've put them in front of. And they don't take their eyes off that. I might get, with the youngster, I might get a little bit of ticking left and right, much say, this one, this one, this one. Um, but that will come with the experience. He'll stop checking in at me and he will strongly look at the first obstacle. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So that leads us on really nicely to the next corner, I believe. Well, that well, I just included that one. Actually. That would be my go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of people do use a go for or go on for running straight. How much of that go cue does your dog understand without any hoops or jumps in front of them? Mm -hmm. So again, I teach that on a flat work ground level. Um, I want the dog to be able to run in a straight line away from me on my go cue with the toy coming in. So keep mm -hmm. running straight, the toy will come. Yeah. But how many dogs will actually do that? Or you say go and they turn around and look at you. Yeah. So why would you expect them to understand the word go or hoop or agility and understand what the word meant in grass level? Yeah, definitely. And um, that again is something that as, as you said, you can either shape it or lure it. Um, I personally prefer shaping um, and we've done, there's a previous episode all about shaping, capturing and luring. So if people aren't sure about that, listen to, um, oh, what episode was it? It was um, episode six. There we go. So that was right at the beginning of the podcast. We spoke about capturing, shaping, luring. So if people aren't sure about um, which method they would be using, you can kind of work that out. So is that all of our points of our puzzle no my my next corner that i haven't covered yet is value <laughs> ah there we go ah there's four yeah. corners because this is there we this, go so yes you can have a triangle if you like <laughs> i've got a square so value yeah okay. build value to the equipment mm -hmm. if you're always rewarding it yourself how are you going to gain distance for the dog going out to find the hoop a barrel um, if you're not rewarding that piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. So I mix up, sometimes I'm rewarding at my side, sometimes I'm throwing the toy towards them for taking a particular hoop that's quite a distance from me. So yeah. I'm building value in that piece of equipment. Yeah. And so also, now I've got my four corners. <laughs> there we go. So the other way also with adding the value, so one of the things we've done in training is you will actually have Dodge's reward so I set him up, I get him in the right position, I get myself in the right position, because this is enough for both of us to think about, and then you do the reward bit, because there's only so much my brain can cope with at once. <laughs> yeah, if I'm building value, whether it be forward focus, go, or a weight, I do have a clicker for me. If I'm holding a toy and I want to use my arms, I end up with too much in my hands. I don't want that. So I actually use the word click. It's a sound that I can say it comes out quite easy and it always comes out the same. Not like, mm -hmm. yes, uh, it come out several different ways. So well, anyone that's watched to me is a really good marker word. Anyone that's watched any of my training videos yeah. will know that my yes comes out in so many different pitches and tones, depending on how epic Dodge has been at that moment in time. So, um, yeah, use having that mark word. So we're marking the behavior and then the dog's going to get the reward, whether it's the toy or the food, whether if you've got a dog that's got 
quite a lot of impulse control and self-control and you can put it out as a bit of a lure that's great but if the, the risk of doing it that way is if the dog cheats and doesn't do the exercise correctly they can reward themselves for getting it wrong which you don't want so i think sometimes especially when you're first building up like value and stuff if you can have a helper um, one of the exercises I've done with Dodge before with an extra person is having just one or two hoops in a row and we basically paid like ping pong with him just recalling him through the hoop to each other and if he went through the hoop he got a reward and he got reinforced and if he missed the hoop just nothing happened so it wasn't a bad thing but it wasn't as rewarding as going through the hoop was. So that was one of the ways I sort of built hoop value with him having another person. So if you are in a multi-person household, and actually it's quite a good game to get the kids to play with the dog because you can get the kids like calling the dog. So it practices their recall, which is a good foundation outside of hoopers and you're building value, which is one of your corners of your hoopers. So yeah, that's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember to reward at the hoop and not always at you sometimes as well so you've got yes. value for them taking that hoop yes. um hoops are quite tiny so we expect to you know dogs to find these i think what they two centimeter pipes if that yeah and they're only like a meter wide they're really not big <laughs> no no so um yeah they have to work extremely hard to put themselves through hoop especially if they're not you know if they go wide on a barrel the line to the next hoop might not necessarily be in line because they've gone wide to a dog that's turned tight on the barrel. The, the line for that hoop is now favorable. Mm -hmm. But if they've built value into, Oh, I've, I've overshot my barrel, but there's my hoop and they come back and correct themselves. Yeah. You know, you've built value in for that hoop. Yeah, exactly that. And it's, I mean, when we first started hoopers with Dodge, as much as we did a bit of hoop, we actually worked on the barrels quite a lot with him as a puppy, didn't we? Just so that it was a nice big obstacle that he could easily understand and get his head around what we needed. It wasn't putting too much pressure on his little puppy joints, bless him. And we were just getting him to just trot round a barrel, weren't we? And being yeah. the force for going round a barrel. And now you put a barrel in front of him and goes round it. <laughs> yeah he, he goes off and finds them and says oh this is what you want you must have looked at it so i'll take it yes. that's exactly what you want yes. you know you you know you've done a really good foundation then for them to go looking because you're standing there with the toy oh it must be this that's where you're looking i'll go and take that that's yes. great that's perfect I mean, and i like starting with um barrels because i like teaching especially young dogs and dogs that have, obviously he's quite big for a puppy i like to teach him how to balance round equipment yes safely rather than run around at full pelt it's not about speed because they end up flicking their back end out yeah so i like them learning how to negotiate to come around a barrel i always start with something big um because they've got more of a turning circle and a you know a tiny little cone that's got like a square foot on it or something i don't like seeing yeah. them yeah so yeah i mean um I actually trained with an Irish wolfhound um, a little while ago. And obviously that's a big vehicle in terms of dog breed. And when we first started her on the barrel, we actually put two together 
So it was a really nice big curve for her. And yeah. once she'd got the hang of two barrels, then we reduced it to one barrel because like you say, the bigger the dog, the tighter the turn's going to be for them when you're only working on one object. So, you know, using a cone is fine, but if you can use like a dustbin or something that's just a bit bigger for the dog, it does encourage them to turn gently and, as you say, learn their balance rather than flicking their bum out like a little drift car. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I prefer something bigger. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So once we've got our foundations, Lisa, so we're looking at our forward focus and go, building value of our equipment and the weight. So those are the four things. And that's all stuff that people can practice at home as well, isn't it? You don't need a whole field with loads of equipment. No, no, absolutely not. Um, even just down to like household waiting at the back door so that, you know, they, most dogs want to rush out, especially first thing in the morning, they want to <laughs> rush out the garden. So teaching a weight at the back door, that all will transfer over to your agility field or your hoopers field. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of domestics that go by can result in a naughty dog when you go training. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. if you, you get them in hand at home, but yeah, practice it anywhere. And like if your dog's getting in and out of vehicles, like opening the boot of the car and getting them to wait rather than just launching out the back of the car. You know, if you were parked on a road, you wouldn't let them just launch out. So as you say, it's transferable to real world as much as it is a sports thing as well. It's, it all kind of marries in together. It's just polite manners of waiting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Transfer them domestics. <laughs> I love that. Transfer the domestics. That's a good way of putting it. Right, Lisa, thank you so, so much for joining us for this episode to just explain what our little foundation corners are. Um, hopefully you'll join us again in the future for another episode. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, no, we appreciate it. And if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Oh, I hide in a bubble. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa has a magic bubble and I feel very, very honoured to be within the bubble. Um, but Lisa is far too modest because she is an absolutely fabulous trainer and she has been a massive, massive support to me since getting um, the house full. So a massive thank you to you as well for being so blooming awesome, my lovely you're most welcome <laughs> right thanks lise take care and everybody um remember stay safe be kind wash your hands thoroughly and keep your dogs on leave around livestock until the next episode guys bye for more information on hoopers where to find classes and canine hoopers world instructor courses Find us on Facebook, like our page, join our free group, Canine Hoopers World. You can follow us on Instagram and we're also on Twitter at Canine Hoopers. Check out our website, www.caninehoopersworld.com. Remember, Canine Hoopers World, everyone's invited. <laughs> <laughs>